Hi, with Julian on the Brown Note on Radio Northern Beaches and YouTube and podcasting and everything else with another list. I've been doing lists for months. That's all I'm going to do forever. So I had my top 200 tracks of all time, which ended. And last week I did my best and worst films of the year, a bit late. And now I'm doing my best albums of the year. Well, I did my best and worst um, films of the year. And this is just going to be my top 25 albums of the year and i'll probably do tracks of the year as well but this is all normally done and dusted long before um <laughs> after that film list where my uh, i didn't have access to use my laptop so i was doing all manner of stuff i actually have the power cable this time so i have music otherwise it would be a short show so at number 20 and this is i want to point out the first list of any kind i've done with a joint position at any level, and it's joint first place. I want to get that out of the way straight away. I feel completely okay about doing a joint first place or a joint any number because I've never done it before. So you always get one get out of jail free card. And I listened to them both back to back and was like, I actually don't know. I would say that they are both equally good. Maybe I should have done that with the North. So everything, everywhere, all at once, one way. Films of the year, but I do think it is showing a clean pair of heels a tiny bit to my second favourite film of the year, The Northman, uh, and what came after that. I think the top five was Nightmare Alley, Don't Look Up, and Elvis, Shock Horror. At number 25, a band known as Spiritualized. One of my favorites, my second favorite album of all time is Ladies and Gentlemen, We Are Floating in Space. Jason Pierce's long-running post-Spaceman 3 project is 30 years old now. And I think critics are missing out here because Sweetheart, he's, he's had like a comeback now of three albums. Uh, even though he's never spent more than five years away, um, Sweetheart, Sweet Light for me got a lot of acclaim, but I really detested it. I loved that one track, the opener, and I thought the rest of the album was garbage. I thought And Nothing Hurt was a much better album and got nowhere near the plaudits. But Everything is Beautiful this year was fantastic. A really good album, and from that, at 25, in my albums of the year, one of the entries that is getting next to no love, but The Needle Drop included it in his in these albums of the year. I was very, very happy to see when bands get old and they're white and they're cis and heteronormative, critics just don't care. And I think I'd add that I slagged off critics for top 10 lists for including films that they've only seen at festivals where virtually no one's seen them or they don't even come out till next year. I think music criticism has never been lower because they just don't know what they're doing anymore. How many publications chose Beyonce as a Will This Do winner for Album of the Year? It has to fit and tick boxes for them to even... They don't know what they're doing. We've got the weakest era of music criticism this century. At number 24, it is Benito Antonio Martina Casio from Puerto Rico, from uh, Bad Bunny had the biggest album of the year culturally uh, from a pop perspective, which is important because I think probably Rosalia had the biggest album critically, ignoring Beyonce, because who cares about Beyonce? Honestly, how lame is it giving her album of the year? It's probably like the level of magnitude 
between Rosalie's Moso Mammy and Beyonce's Renaissance, Renaissance, the level of artistic genius on one side and corporate crap on the other. Um, but anyway, the biggest critical and commercial albums of the year were both Spanish language albums. So Bad Bunny, I have featured his previous albums on my show, Inverano Cinti at 24. I reviewed it and said that I felt the first half wasn't quite there. Um, it's a double, it's a really long album, but the second half really sort of locked into a much more wide-ranging and adventurous sort of groove. Um, T... Titi Mi Progunso is a track that everyone has focused on for their tracks of the year. You can tell how bad music critics are now by the fact they pick the same tracks for track of the year. Honestly, Pusha T's got no mention in the Pitchfork tracks or albums of the year apart from Diet Coke, one of the least interesting tracks off of one of the best albums of the year. They all choose the same track. Go to another publication. It's Diet Coke again. It's Diet Coke again. Anyway, this is Titi Mi Pregunto, probably the most famous track on the commercial album of the year, which is very good, if not great. Last album. You're with Julian counting down my albums of 2022. And the set in the top 10 is very good. Um, I'll play some of this because it's an ambient album, so it's not really functional for radio play. And I do have to get through 13 tracks in the first hour to make the second hour viable. Um, Burial, a.k.a. Will Bevan, um, the Anti-Dawn EP, which was his longest and closest to being a genuine full album album for a very long time, but in a very much um, abstract, ambient way. I shall play a bit from, as every track is, is sound collage music, I'll play a little bit. This is Shadow Paradise. That's uh, Burial. At 23 with Anti-Dawn, at 22, Columbia via Berlin's Lucretia Dolt, who's made quite a few albums um, under her own name and others. Well, Lucretia or Lucretia Dolt. And um, connected with the compact... No, not compact, sorry. Um, oh, how can I possibly forget? The guy that did Space's Only Noise. Nicholas Jar, uh, with his record label. So her album, I... Um, as in A.Y. Uh, I thought it was really good. I didn't, uh, I didn't go overboard. Uh, I, thought it, I thought it was um, borderline EP versus album. It was a little bit slight, but it was still really, really good what was on there. So from that, Bochinch at number 22 from I by Lucretia Dalt. Columbia via Berlin and I, her album, and Bochinch. At number 22. At number 21, Dan Snaith from Canada has achieved most recognition in his career recording as Caribou, um, a run of very prominent and acclaimed albums. His more dance-oriented version of himself, which I again liken to Nicholas Jar's Against All Logic, although those albums are amazing. Uh, this one is very good, and this is his most persuasive argument for the moniker Daphne, which he uses to make more club-based music. Cherry, really well-sculpted album, really well-based in uh, sort of post-90s UK rave techno culture uh, and referencing a lot of um, different dance music styles, electronic styles from there on. But it's still standing really quite state-of-the-art 
really propulsive and um, yeah I thought it was an excellent album from that at number 21 and I can do a countdown because um, yeah it is countdown time 25 spiritualized everything was beautiful completely ignored 24 bad bunny in verano Sinti. if you're going to go corporate and choose a corporate album of the year choose this and not beyonce's renaissance god i can't stand real beyonce 23 burials anti-dawn ep uh his first sort of album proper in a long while uh which was ambient noise which everyone was really waiting for uh lucretia Dalt at 22 with that album and daphne with the album cherry and arrow at 21 daphne and cherry at 21 in my top 20 albums of the year at number 20 one of the two hardcore noise crossover moments of the year uh was chat pile from oklahoma sounding like the titular slag heap which uh, chat pile is basically uh, a big hill of the uh, remnants of whatever nature destroying enterprise was happening there uh, and their album God's Country had some of the most confronting music of the year on it and um, also some of the most empathetic. The track Why about homeless people was um, just fantastic uh, and some of the other tracks about abusive people and serial killery people were terrifying. Uh, this leaning towards the more listening end of things uh, is anywhere from Chat Pile at number 20. At number 19 in my albums of the year, uh, another one alongside Spiritualized, Missed Out from Most Lists, a wonderful electronic music project called Half Moon Bay from Tomu DJ from California, who I accused of being Japanese. I st still don't even know, to be honest. That's how much I research. Um, or I said there was some flavor there. Um, but based in California, follow up to uh, Feminista, uh, debut album or their debut album. And Half Moon Bay, I thought was one of the best electronic releases of the year. And from that, at number 19, Sunsets. Number 18, Keith Farrell Kozar. I've played on my radio show an awful lot. I became obsessed around the release of I Don't Like back in, I think, 2012. And he was set to become a terrible, massive rap star with a huge first album and a massive gap between them and was embroiled in controversy at a very young age, uh, gun charges. Uh, house arrest, kicked off his record label, and he didn't go down that road. He became the Captain Beefheart of rap. He became one of the most interesting figures in rap music by never ever trying to become that superstar and releasing extremely left-field weird music ever since. Dozens of albums. I've featured dozen, probably a dozen of his albums on, on my radio show where he pursues a collaborative angle or a soundscape angle and never ever going anywhere near the mainstream or hardly at all. And um, he's actually probably ground zero, if anyone can be, for two incredibly important things. One is mumble rap, which gets a, a very, <laughs> there's not much kudos going on there so much, but Chicago Drill, Dr UK Drill is now probably the preeminent style of rap globally um and he is ground zero for chicago drill well he came back with four nem and i his it's his most upfront energized and di direct rapping performances that's what hasn't been necessarily the focus of his other projects 
This one really was him at his most impassioned, and he never really is like that on albums. So it was an amazing project and deserved a lot more kudos again. And this opening track, Bitchware, will probably contain swearing. Uh, so at number 18, Chief Keith. For them, why isn't this getting, you know, basically because he's in the margins as far as music critics are concerned, but a great album from him. Number 17, um, three albums into their return from their glorious 90s heyday. One of the great alt-rock bands of the 90s, the Afghan Weeks. One of the great album discographies of the 90s as far as alt-rock music went. They never pigeonholed into grunge and they sort of um, existed on their own terms even though they were sort of hoovered up by that milieu at the start of it all they definitely brought in, out into a, a much more interesting act and they've had three comeback albums now and i think this is by far their best how do you burn at number 17 in my albums of the year they were known as a drunken lothario all character based music but um what would be considered perhaps problematic in the modern era. Um, they use both sides of the coin here on the How Do You Burn, and I think this last track really sort of almost celebrates that previous iteration of the band. Greg Dooley's wonderful, The Afghan Weeks, and uh, this is a final track from it, as good an example of their best album since the 90s, I can find. And number 16 in my albums of the year, the 932nd studio album by Neil Young um, this year. Um, actually, I think the eighth uh, release by Neil Young in 2022 alone. Uh, most of those are the archival projects uh, he keeps releasing. The um, Noise and Flowers was brilliant. That uh, live album was a set list from heaven. And he didn't release any bad music this year for me. Not the ones that I heard anyway. Um, there was uh, a, a, a rediscovered Crazy Horse album, which was the terrible Are You Passionate album, given a much better version, I thought, with Crazy Horse. That was from around the start of the 2000s. But you opened the 2022 with Barn, a perfectly serviceable, again, Crazy Horse album. And he's released world record right at the end of the year. And for me, the difference between the two albums is the difference between uh, world record my 16th best album of the year and a lot of the more serviceable recent releases that he's done including with crazy horse and it's an overabundance of personality um it really did push out into areas where they just didn't care uh he's not really cared much about anything that anyone's thought for a very long time but this one was a real wild ride uh, with some really odd instrumentation throughout the album almost like sea shanties and organs, more guitar than I was led to believe on an album where he doesn't play guitar on the majority of the tracks. It's still got some absolute burners on there. Um, and the, um, the lyrics as well, and the uh, band performances. His trademark now is a sort of ramshackle court live music, as denoted by the previous album, Barn. Appear is on YouTube. You can just watch the whole thing being played live in the uh, in the barn. Um, so he's he's gone down that road for better or worse. But this time around, I really feel like he's hit a particular groove. And I mentioned that it's sort of wild, carefree abandon on this album, and uh, sort of um, going down avenues fearlessly without caring. Um, it kind of reminded me of Tonight's Tonight. Not that it is as good as that album, but. 
um, that sort of vibe came through. So I thought it was a standout of his recent, going all the way back to probably Psychedelic Pill, uh, which again was much more in that sort of same vein as Barn, but a, a, a much vaster project and uh, probably a lot more, probably the most satisfying Neil Young album um, of recent times. But this one had a real cult feel to it. Uh, and I really enjoyed um, it's like the one of the tracks is a real slow burn classic crazy horse jam but a lot of the other ones are just really <laughs> just off the wall interesting and and that's what held me so my 16th best album of the year is Neil Young and World Record this is the world's in trouble now that's a great example of the abandon and the fact that they don't really uh, try and emulate music they've done in the past they're sort of pushing into weird avenues and number 16 neil young and crazy horse world record uh the pinnacle of his recent studio output for me and number 15 the duo of georgia ellery and taylor sky from the uk one of the most anticipated debut albums of the year after a couple of eps showcasing uh bizarro uh, off the wall production styles, I guess post Sophie maybe a little bit. Um, not strictly hyper pop, but um, sort of in this uh, realm of experimental production. Less so, I thought, in the debut than I've been led to believe. Um, I thought it was a, a little bit more explainable than, than I was expecting, but still very, very good. And I should point out, Georgia Ellery uh, was or is in. Um, uh, a member of Black Country New Road, the UK indie collective who appear a lot later in this list, which is very exciting. So I Love You, Jennifer B, the highest ranked debut album of the year so far, uh, and this track, Concrete Over Water. Number 14, The Smile, the most pointless band of the year. It's essentially Radiohead and obviously Tom York and uh, John Greenwood don't like their bass player and drummer anymore so went and made a radiohead album without them with a new drummer tom skinner honestly why they didn't just include tom skinner in radiohead and just made an album with two drummers is so close to a radiohead album much more so than tom york's solo output but as everyone pointed out their best non-radiohead radiohead project i know i noticed the bass player from radiohead turned up so uh, playing with Nick Cave uh, and uh, for the Carnage tour in Australia a few days ago. So maybe he's going, yeah, up yours. I'm, I'm doing my thing with Nick Cave now, um, which would be fair, but I just don't get it. I mean, it, it's, it's, it, it's like they remade King of Limbs, but actually made a really good album instead. Uh, I wasn't as overblown with praise uh, when I reviewed it. I said that I thought the second half was a pure classic and the first half meandered a little uh still though it's full of great tracks even that first half had some really really great tracks on it and um a light for attracting attention is my 14th best album of the year and um i guess much more in tune with that experimental post kid a radiohead than the the likes of in rainbows and moonshape pool their two high points probably post kid a album wise have been very different to that kind of king of limbs radiohead whereas this was very much in that pocket i didn't know i don't know that i remember the lyrics much on this album i know that there were you know 
dystopian themes and consumerism and the world and stuff but i just didn't really remember it but the cool tracks were really cool and it was a great album a light for attracting attention and number 14 this is thin thing and number 13 another of the albums that's not getting picked up by anyone else's list and and quite remarkably so the second from dundalk in ireland's just mustard uh barely fitting in the shoegaze genre um a little bit um a bit noisier uh their second album after wednesday heart under i thought was fantastic really dark uh quite malevolent and i thought in the um katie ball was uh, one of the finds of the year um her voice is amazing and fits into a lot of different and often trauma inducing uh, styles and i thought it was a great album Real sort of death disco feel to it, uh, sort of uh, very sort of almost Joy Division-y feel to it, very sort of bleak and um, like wailing at times. A really strong album that seems to have just got forgotten, I don't know how, did come out earlier in the year. So from my 13th best album of the year from Just Mustard Heart Under, this is Blue Chalk. Assault, the UK collective, arguably the great, greatest band in the world at the moment, actually has some members listed on its uh, Wikipedia page, Inflow, Cleo, Sol and Kid's sister, for the broadly anonymous project that since 2019, now this is a shock, uh, they, they released five in 2019, uh, the album Seven, uh, the album Untitled and Black Is, Untitled Rise, that was their fourth album in 2020, they released the album Nine, which was available for 99 days in 2021, and an orchestral album, which I thought was amazing, called Air, which came out in April this year, which was their seventh album, sixth studio album. Well, they actually released five albums on the 1st of November for free, and I didn't even realise. So they're up to 11 albums since 2019. So they released five albums on the 1st of November. I was actually overseas until the middle of November, and from a couple of weeks before that, I totally missed five albums by the band at number 12 in my list. I think their music's incredible, and they're obviously operating on a very uh, ethical wavelength in the way that they uh, release music and, and the lack of cashing in on any of it. Um, they've done, and the connection with Little Sims is one of the few that you get. They're not out there producing everyone else's music, just who they want to. Little Sims released an album over Christmas as well, which is apparently very good. I haven't heard that yet. So Salt's Air was a very interesting, um, broadly uh, classical album release. And it veered into tangents at times. I think this track does a bit. From my 12th best album of the year, another one that was missed off of virtually everyone's list, Salt and Air, and this track June 55. At number 20, uh, Chatpile, God's Country, at 19, Tomu DJ, Criminally Ignored, Half Moon Bay, 18, Chief Keith, for them, another Criminally Ignored album, so was the Afghan Weeks, How Do You Burn, at 17, Neil Young, Crazy Horse, again ignored, at 16, World Record, Jockstrap, less so, at 15, with I Love You, Jennifer B., and Tom York and Johnny Greenwood's The Smile Project at 14 with a light for attracting attention, Just Mustard and Blue Chalk was a track I played hot under the album, their second at 13 and that was Just Then, Salt and the album Air and I missed five albums from them this year. <laughs> 
because I was away. At number 11, uh, Alex Legrand, Alex Legrand, Victoria Legrand and Alex Scali, long established as one of the most popular and beloved alt-rock acts in the world, Beach House. I don't even know what album they're up to now. Once Twice Melody kicks off, well, no, it's uh, number 11. Once Twice Melody is their eighth studio album, and whereas they continually, like the War on Drugs, try and sculpt the perfect version of their album, this time they actually uh, let it fly into four sides. So it was like four EPs, uh, four tracks on each. Beautiful. They're so classy. I love the fact that it was so symmetrical. Uh, and each functioned as a, a, an EP on its own. And even though it might not have been as consistent as, as their albums, which are normally perfect, it was still one of the best albums of the year. So at number 11, Once, Twice, Melody from Beach House, and Only You Know. So we're into the top 10 albums of the year, and yet another criminally ignored one, Indigo Spark from Sydney. I loved her very spectral, almost medieval debut album. It was a fully realized aesthetic. And her second album, Hysteria, was a much more mainstream record where her voice, amazing voice, was front and center, and the arrangements and the songs were much more mainstream. And they seemed to get a little bit of a polite praise from critics, almost like double-edged praise, where they were kind of not that acclaimed by it. Um, I thought it was fantastic, mainly because the, strong, the, the big songs on it were so good. And I thought it was a better album in that sort of vein than the Angel Olsen album was. So Hysteria at number 10, and a good example of how like at least half the tracks on there had incredibly strong hooks, vo uh, verses, uh, melodies, and uh, her voice carrying it all. And a good example from my number 10 album from Indigo Spark from Sydney, Hysteria, and this god is a woman's name. At nine, everyone chose Soul Glows. Diaspora Problems, like Chat Pile, one of the hardcore music breakthroughs, crossovers of the year. Um, I think they're probably their debut album proper. Uh, fantastic, abrasive, artistic, uh, very politicised, uh, very humanistic, and um, almost very post, I guess, at the drive-in at their peak. And um, yeah, it really did uh, offer a, a great deal of crossover potential for, for music that can get locked in its genre lane, as did, as with Chatpile as well, which means that other people listen to it that don't normally listen to that kind of music. And um, pretty much everyone had it near the top of their list. Uh, so Soul Glow, Diaspora Problems, it will be very noisy, possible swearing, and Coming Correct is cheaper. At my ninth best album of 2022. <coughs> At number eight out of the, also as with Beach House from Maryland, uh, Bill Callahan, um, long established as one of the most beloved singer-songwriters in America. His um, baritone and uh, almost genial delivery across a raft of great albums from pretty much for me, uh, Dream River in 2013. I think that the the album, these last two albums have been two of his most interesting. The Blind Date Party album with Bonnie Prince Billy was a fantastic cover album uh, from last year, but... Reality, I think, is the pinnacle of his recent solo albums. Um, certainly, I liked it more than Shepherd in the Sheepskin Vest and Gold Record. Uh, I thought it's a fantastic album. Some of his um, most pronounced songs and 
Uh, he let the arrangements uh, go off into almost jam sessions at times. Uh, and some of his, two, probably three or four of his best ever songs, uh, including this one, Naked Souls, from my eighth best album of the year. Again, missing from a lot of lists, Reality from Bill Callahan and Naked Souls. Truncating everything because I won't fit it in the show. At number seven, she's been around forever and known as the woman that sings on trip-hop records or dance records, Beth Orton. Um, just took a chance with a much more artistically fragmented album and came out with one of the best of the year, my seventh best, Weather Alive, another pick by many people. Really sort of abstract, very post-COVID and very fitting with the modern age, the anxieties and um, the sort of collage techniques involved. Really felt like a, a rebirth as an artist. A fantastic album, front to back, a lot of long-form songs that j percolate and exist as wisps at times. A really, really stunning album, and this track from it, my seventh best of the year, Weather Alive by Beth Orton and Friday No. Uh, biggest criminal miss on everyone's list this year was undoubtedly Sun's signature self-titled EP slash album. The first prominent release, album length release from Elizabeth Fraser, the best alternative singer in UK history, I think, and up there with the likes of Kate Bush as far as her use of the amazing voice that she's got in such incredible ways. Her first prominent release from since the Cocteau Twins, really, other than appearing on several iconic tracks like Teardrops by Massive Attack. Um, I, I think it's, it belongs alongside My Bloody Valentine, Slow Dive and Ride, the Holy Trinity of Shoegaze. The analogous music of Shoegaze was Dream Pop and the Cocteau Twins were the birth of Dream Pop. So it's kind of like the four horsemen of the British indie apocalypse uh, from the early 90s. Um, I thought it was a magnificent album. It was so good. It was so good. It used her voice exactly like you'd want it to be used. It's still an undimmed force of uh, godlike nature. And Sun Signature was uh, near perfect for me. And I thought I would underappreciate by everyone, kind of ignored. Um, but yeah, she is obviously amazing. And from my sixth best album of the year, which is a self titled debut by Sun Signature. Featuring the incomparable voice of Elizabeth Fraser, this track, Apples. Sun's signature at number six in my albums of the year with their self-titled debut and the return of Elizabeth Fraser. At number five, Pusha T, Terence Thornton, uh, X of Clips, whose Hell Have No Fury is my number one rap album of the century so far. And took a while to, once he split with his brother, um, No Malice, as he's called now, it took a while for him to establish his solo career and uh, did so with Gusto uh, with Daytona in 2018 and his association with Kanye West being the head of the record label, which he just announced that he's left due to Kanye being um, a little too fond of Hitler, I believe. Anyway, Daytona was a, a, a short-form masterpiece and he followed it up with a long-form version, almost of the same thing. It's almost dry. It was, uh, again, one of the albums of the year that didn't appear in a lot of lists and I was very surprised by that. I think we've got the worst 
era of music journalism going at the moment uh, I think that the people that are being picked are just focusing on garbage because they don't really have a lot of taste and they're picking music based on it fitting certain tick boxes more than anything else uh, didn't even feature in the top 50 pitchfork albums of the year amazing stuff it's almost dry another classic from Pusha T and this track from it will contain swearing I pray for you reunites him with his brother no malice so uh, a pretty big thing to end an album on uh, it's such a great move bringing his brother back for the last verse on the whole album push your tea at five it's almost dry and number four a decade in able test fire from canada aka the weekenders on an incredible artistic run at the moment after hours was my number one album of the year a couple of years ago not far off this time around with dawn fm um, and a concept album about death and being in a journey to death with drive time radio as if death couldn't be any worse uh, at number four dawn fm from the weekend and this gasoline near classic dawn fm at number four in my albums of the year and number three well i might as well do a countdown there's a reason for that at 10 indigo spark hysteria soul glow diaspora problems at nine Eight, Bill Callahan, Reality, his best out of the recent run. Uh, Beth Wharton, again, Rebirth as an artist with Weather Alive at seven. Sun Signature, criminally underappreciated at six, their self-titled debut album. Pusha T, it's almost dry at number five. And that was the weekend at number four. And at number three, well, we really are picking, the, like the last few years I've gone on at length about the um, incredible rebirth of angular indie guitar music from the uk from working men's club to uh, black country new road to um squid um i haven't done wasn't a big fan of the wet leg album the dry cleaning one i never gave the second album a listen i should give that a listen but i wasn't a massive fan in the first and right at the top of the pile black midi have been incredible uh their new album hellfire one of their wildest artistic, well, their wildest artistic statement, really incredible and imaginative and all over the shop and done with gusto and humour. From Hellfire, this is Welcome to Hell from Black Midi. So I said at the start we had a joint number one, the first time I've ever done a, a tie in any capacity in any of my lists, um, but I couldn't separate them and they were both albums that um, were a clean pair of heels to everything else I heard this year. The level of artistry, the curation over the course of the album, the imagination in the, the constructs of the songs and the instruments and the soundstage um, just were phenomenal on both albums. And uh, hearing them side by side, I couldn't really pick. I think I gave one nine and a half out of ten. And the other, my first review on YouTube was a ten out of ten. So uh, the first of my two number one albums of 2022 is Rosalia Villa Tobella from Catalan in Spain uh, who is absolutely at the apex of Spanish language music which seems to be taking over everything her third album uh, I put El Malquiera her second album in my top 10 albums of 2018 uh, and this one was a maximalist incredible uh, showcase of everything that she can do which is considerably more than Beyonce, how that this album has finished second to Beyonce's Renaissance in just about every poll. It is so far ahead. No one track embodies the whole album as 
They all seem to occupy a particular space in the story the album is telling. Uh, an incredible journey. Um, it veers from her traditional, incredible voice uh, across uh, a more traditional singing style into the most avant-garde music out there. Um, this is the one concession to pop, pure pop on the album. Uh, as I said, no one track really embodies everything that is so special about the classic Moto Mami from Rosalia, my joint number one album of the year, and this from it, La Fama, featuring The Weeknd. And that's my joint number one album, Rosalia, Moto Mami. No album was better than that this year, including my other joint number one album of the year, Black Country, New Road, Ants From Up There, everything I said about the Rosalia album, I say about this album. And days after it came out, the lead singer of this um, post-arcade final funeral uh, emotive indie high point, Isaac Wood left the band due to mental health problems and nothing has been heard from him a year later since. Uh, I'll play out with this, Chaos Space Marine from my joint number one albums of the year, Rosalia, Moto Mami and Black Country, New Road. Ants from up there, full reviews of both on the YouTube channel and I gave this a 10 out of 10. Adios!